Welcome to Cottonmouth Manchester, a podcast brought to you by CityCo, the city centre management company for Manchester and Salford. I'm Vaughan Allen from CityCo, and today I'm talking to Mike Taylor, external affairs advisor to the vice chancellor at Manchester, Manchester Met. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Mike's had a classic 21st century portfolio career. Uh, editorial director of the Insider Group, editing the Northwest Insider, running various discussion forums and becoming a well-known commentator and connector in the Manchester and wider world. He was a parliamentary candidate in the 2015 election. He's a Blackburn Rovers obsessive and blogs thoughts and comments at marpleleaf.co.uk. In between, he's written a book on football casual culture and a novel based on the pre-crash money property culture of Manchester and Cheshire. Is that all right? Yeah, that's all. See, a bit of Googling always works there, doesn't it? (laughs) So, Mike, I guess the first question is, where do you find the time for all of this? Well, I've got a full-time job now, so I do fit a few other things in around the job. I think it's important. Just keep busy. One of the reasons I wanted to have more of a varied portfolio career having done the same I don't job. know that we still use the phrase portfolio. No, no, it was no, one of those things we that don't, was... No, and I didn't make a conscious decision, yeah, I want a portfolio instead of a job. And ultimately I decided I needed a job instead of a portfolio. But I just felt that it was a need to have some variety. And, you know, I've been a school governor. I'm a trustee of a charity as well in Tameside. And uh, a non-exec director of a, of a financial services business. I just like that variety. It gives you new insights. So it brings a certain amount a different way of thinking about the kind of wicked problems that we have to deal with in the higher education sector, which I do day to day. But the main, the main focus and the consistent thread running through everything since 2000 has been doing stuff in and around Manchester and advancing anything I can do in this great city, which I've returned to, having studied here in the 80s, been on that journey to Australia, Bristol, London, back to London again. You know, I really wanted to return home to my what has become my roots and it's one of the things if if anything that says a lot about Manchester that I'm an outsider but I feel Mancunian yeah because I'm originally from Lancashire but uh, you know David Beckham Eric Cantona Sergio Aguero these are heroes who are welcome from outside whereas the Scousers always seem to adopt Stevie Gerrard and and Jamie Carragher as their icons or or like the welcome Rooney back and I love that about Manchester. Uh, uh, my good friend Andrew... And Vaughan Allen, of course. Uh, yeah. My good friend Andrew Harrison, um, uh, who is a scouser and used to edit The Word and Q and various other things, um, once, once commented um, that uh, Liverpool was the easternmost city of the United States. And, I, and at the time, I'd say, no, 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 Manchester is the easternmost <laughs> city of the United States. Um, basically, because it is New York in microcosm. That idea of... Um, you know, you get into a yellow cab in New York and everybody has the flag of whichever country they came from yeah. and the the Union um, Stars and Stripes as well. I'd nearly call it the Union Jack there. They wouldn't have gone down well. Uh, the Stars and Stripes as well. And yeah. that's a sort of Mancunian thing. Wherever you come from, you're a Mancunian yeah. as long yeah, as you... Yeah. I mean, you know, Ariana Grande is now a honorary yeah. Ma- Mancunian because of the tragedy. And, it, you know, that doesn't seem a weird thing to be. That's part of the Mancunian culture, isn't it? It is. And I think there's something else going on as well. Maybe maybe having a political culture that's centred around Greater Manchester, is, it, it might mean that people who are from Trafford, Tameside, or where I pay my rates, Stockport, um, that we feel part of a Greater Manchester entity. Nobody in London says, oh, I'm really proud to be from Bromley. Or maybe they do, I don't know. Or from Havering, or the Havering's London Borough of Ealing. You know, it's, it's, it's the London Borough of, you know. And I, th- I think it's one really, really clearly defined identity that's uh, going to start coming to the fore. Um, so how does journalism morph into the think tank world, morph into Manchester Met? Yeah, I was, um, 
I've always been interested in politics and the way that policy has been created. Um, but I guess the biggest story in the in the decade that I was a fully engaged business journalist, you know, business was the story. Business was, and its failings and its weaknesses were behind the financial crash. And I think the big story of this decade so far has been politics. You know, the, the, how Obama addressed the issues in the US, if we want to take a global view on it, and toxically, how it's been addressed in all sorts of different easy answers by, by different forms at the moment. And I've, I've written a piece for Place Northwest in the last week about this, reflecting on the 10 years since the beginnings of the financial crash of seven and eight. And, and look at who the commentators were, who were the household names who were providing that background narrative to what was happening in that era. Robert Peston, Stephanie Flanders, um, arguably Jeff, what's his name, from, from Sky. He, he's now on the board of a race course. She's going to work for Bloomberg and is currently at JP Morgan. And Robert Peston is a political commentator because that's where the story is. And I guess my political true north is always <laughs> um, what matters is what works. And I think there's a real practical element running through Manche Greater Manchester politics now about how, how do we solve this problem, not where the ideology is. And that's, that's where I think Manchester's a fascinating place to be running a think tank, which we are within the university, projecting some of the amazing research that some of our guys are working on, and then working with people like the Mayor's Office, like the City Council, but also looking further afield to... Um, to, to charities and third sector organisations who are looking to address problems like homelessness, um, distribution of synthetic cannabis, but also reforms to the criminal justice system. Yeah, we'll come back to the relationships also between the universities and the importance of the universities in, in the city. Um, very briefly, what's an external affairs advisor? Yeah, um, there's five pillars to our university strategy, to, to be slightly wonky about this for a moment. Partnerships, uh, community, sustainability, place and ambition. Now the ambition thing is about being ambitious for the students, being ambitious for people who are doing research. But all of those other strands of our strategy involve working external to the university. And I'm, I work in a small team inside the Vice-Chancellor's office who to those outside the HE sector. We have all sorts of arcane job titles that mean absolutely nothing to anybody. The Vice-Chancellor is effectively the chief executive of an organisation with 5,000 members of staff and over 38,000 students and deals with all sorts of problems day to day. And he looks to me, to a certain extent, to give him a steer and advice and to open up my network and what insights I've um, gained over the years to make sure that university strategies map to that. How okay. was that? Was that all right? That, that was all right, yeah. I, think I didn't really understand that. that. So you meet a lot of people outside. You're not, you're not stuck in a university yeah, office. Yeah, I do. When I leave the office, I say, right, I'm off out to go and do some external engagement now. <laughs> Which involves a lot of coffee, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, and rides on mobikes. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Um, so we've got three universities, really, in the, in the city or in the city centre. So where does Manchester Met fit in that? How, does it consciously strive to keep a point of difference from the other two and how does it do that yeah we've got our own identity the university of manchester which i'm a graduate of and i and, and i sit as an an advisor an advisor to the um, alumni association which i'm very proud to be part of um you know i know the university of manchester's strengths and they have got world leading status in material science and um, solving big issues around um 
humanitarian issues and medical science as well. Um, Salford was an, a traditional industrial university and we're what's called a post-92 university which up until 1992 we were a polytechnic. We've now been a modern university longer institutionally than we were ever a polytechnic. Um, and we have got a distinction. We do bring more of our cohort of students in from the north of England as a case in point. We do say that we're more engaged with businesses more directly. We have more practical courses. And some of the new projects that we've got on coming on stream, like the International Screen School and the work that we're doing with the Fashion Institute, is absolutely in tandem and in partnership with businesses. We couldn't do it without, really. And and also the way that we're pioneering in a whole new way of educating young people. We're the leading university in the country. Sorry to come over all PR-y and, and plug in, in in a way that these podcasts that's, usually are. That's the bit of the job that you didn't mention. Yeah. Um, you know, we pioneer something called degree-level apprenticeships. So you work with a business, and a student will come to university one or two days a week, equivalent, and but they'll learn on the job effectively. But they'll come away with it at the end with an accredited degree and they'll have been earning in the process. And then, as you can imagine, with a whole debate around how much it costs to go to university, you know, that's a big pressure for us to make sure we deliver value all the time. But this is another route to it, which we've got to absolutely embrace. And you're seeing businesses interested in that? Of course they are, yeah. I mean, the, the, the roll call of businesses that are involved in that, um, from the banking sector, Barclays and Lloyds, we're developing a programme with um, Freedom Finance in Withenshaw, um, but also real blue-chip names like AstraZeneca and Talos. And, and the one that the Daily Mail particularly like, Pizza Hut. You know, there's, there's, uh, we've got a really good undergraduate degree course in hospitality and events management and working around that sector, which, as you know, from the work you do around the city, Vaughan, is, is massive. Um, and we work with, um, with hospitality businesses, one of them being Pizza Hut. Excellent. Um, yeah, because, I, I, I mean, famously, I remember having family in Illinois and, and driving past McDonald University and being right. absolutely blown away by the fact that there was, and I thought it was a joke, but it wasn't. Right. You, actually, you actually went there to study how to be a franchisee, and how to, I think they were the first yeah. to do it in the, in the fast food sector. But right. actually, if you're going to generate the cash, you have to understand the business, don't you? We're not, we're not sponsored by any organisation. No. Um, yes. I think one of the advantages, um, correct me if I'm wrong, I guess, is, is compared to many of those other post-92 universities. I mean, obviously... Uh, Leeds Poly became Leeds Met and then became Carnegie and then became... Uh, it's Leeds Beckett now. Uh, yeah, Leeds Beckett now. Um, which actually at least it has a historical resonance with, with what, what they were doing. Um, but in many senses, many of those other post-92 universities, um, they almost mirrored the older universities. In terms of the courses, they didn't have anything particularly that was outstanding. So they had a fine art course just the same as the older universities. The advantage for Manchester Met is in things like the School of Art, the School of Architecture, the fashion, mm. you have a world-class offer and attraction, mm. which is very, very different to what the university has. So, yeah. so even before 92, yeah. you, you had that sort of point of difference yeah. that, that put you on a global scale. It wasn't second mm. class, and we are second class at doing exactly the same things, was it? No, and to be fair, the School of Architecture is in partnership with the University of Manchester, and it is a real flagship for the city. And it, it shows that we work together. That There'll be other things that we can work with the other universities on and delivering courses in the future. Um, we're the biggest, and, and presumably the most appropriate institution to be delivering the numbers of nurses, social workers, teachers into the greater Manchester economy. And there's a real big piece of work that needs to be done on making sure that that's kind of city region appropriate and, and how we deliver that in the future. Now, uh, one of the things we work with is the Corridor Partnership, of course, mm -hmm. which is you and the university and, right, yeah. and, 
um, the health sector as well, and yeah. a few others. So talk me through that, and where's what's its responsibility for Oxford Road? Um, what's its involvement in the almost constant changes that have happened along that strip of road? Yeah, I mean, we've got our own estate, which is effectively run, starts from just either side of the Mancunian Way down Oxford Road, and then stretches over towards Hume. And when you're on our estate, you pretty much know that you're on a university campus, the security guard's wandering around, it's being swept up, there's a few mobikes lying around, a few other bikes. We've got a lovely park in all sense. That's what mobikes are meant to do. No, it's great. I came on one today, Vaughan, no, no worries about that. And then you cross over past the Royal Northern College of Music, and that's a bit of a building site at the moment, but that, again, um, will, will have its own distinct character. It's about the places in between and the ones that maybe link up with what Bruntwood are doing around what's called Circle Square on the old BBC site on Oxford Road and what's going on in the Manchester Technology Centre that, they're, that, that Bruntwood have custody of, that NCC are moving out of. So it's the spaces in between. Our estate, we know what it's like, it's got a certain character. The Corridor Partnership is about promoting the area so it's got some coherence, so it's an area of culture that people want to come to. And it's 100% a work in progress. <laughs> there's, no, there's no way or no sense that it's got a clear identity at the moment because it's quite mixed and, and messed up and it's got some weak spots along the way. But if you want a, a bit of planning guidance and if you want something to signify what the area can become in the future and you want to stand up at MIPIM and say we're part of something that isn't just another zone to the south of the city centre, then it makes perfect sense to say that you're aligned with knowledge-intensive universities, lots of people, lots of interesting people buzzing about, and the Whitworth Art Gallery at the end for a, a bit of culture. Yeah, every city seems to need a knowledge quarter. And, yeah, uh, so you've got a knowledge that. quarter without <laughs> actually calling, without calling yeah. it a knowledge quarter. Yeah, we've avoided that. There's lots of... Um, as though uh, there's, there's never a, a not knowledge, a, a stupid quarter though. Isn't <laughs> That's right. yeah, maybe we or should. Not, have. Or not in the branding anyway. Well, actually, coming back to place branding in the um, um, the, the character I created for the novel you referred to in the in the, the beginnings of this uh, chat, Roger Cashmore did come up with the idea of creating a straight village in the centre of Manchester <laughs> with all the attractions that men of a certain type in Cheshire, like the man in the Aston Martin who nearly knocked me off my mobile on um, Deansgate just now, would like to go and visit. Excellent. Um, so how is the university in terms of uh, its physical infrastructure, how is it reacting to all the changes that are happening along Oxford Road? Are you changing the building? Are you changing the layout? No, this is, this is actually it's a very important and very key point that actually it's not actually we're going to build a new international screen school in conjunction with the city that, uh, and the um, local growth fund have provided some support for and we're building a new arts and media building right on oxford road as well we're going to do that anyway you know we're a university we want to create world-class buildings to go alongside our other world-class buildings like the sterling price shortlisted school of art so we're going to do that anyway um, it's about the other things alongside it that our friends and neighbours will be able to, to build that um, will be influenced by the corridor and, and the, 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 the structure that it takes. So what's going to improve that area, though? What's going to make it more livable for both students and, and residents and so on? Um, obviously, we've seen a lot of cycle lanes go in. Yeah, they're Pro great. Probably needs more greenery. I mean, more has been yeah. made of Whitworth Park, but... Uh, you know, well, the University of Manchester are building their own park very much. It's going to be almost as good as ours. Um, <laughs> Rutherford Park, opposite the, uh, the, the, the older part of the university, which is great. Uh, more green spaces. Um, you know, cars are eventually moving off, so they'll go down 
either Princess Parkway or Upper Brook Street. So it'll be a much more of a, a, a space that people can enjoy by not fearing they're going to get mowed down. The, the thing personally, I'm not speaking for the university when I say this, we need to do something about air quality as well. You know, it's the busiest bus route in Europe, I believe, with those double-decker buses chugging along at a rate of one every five seconds. And, you know, it would be nice to have lower-level green buses, for instance. Um, I know that's something that the Greater Manchester Mayor, Andy Burnham, made a lot of in his uh, election campaign, that the air quality on Oxford Road is it's, it's unacceptably too high. And, and I'm sure there are plans afoot with Transport for Greater Manchester to address that. Yeah, I'm sure there are. And, and that's one of those classics of, of in deregulation where you can have pretty well everybody set up as, anybody set up as a bus operator. So you may well have the, the big two first and stagecoach who are both moving to low emission vehicles and then will yeah. move to electric vehicles. But actually anybody could buy a bus and run a route on there, can't they? Which is, which is going to be one of the issues. Um, what about um, the sort of the more general infrastructure? Because I mean, I think one of the things when you walk down Oxford Road is obviously to cater to students. 90% um, of the shops appear to be fast food restaurants and those that aren't are bars. Probably the bars are turning into fast food restaurants, which creates issues around litter and issues around cleanliness and various other things as well. So how does the corridor, how does the university, how do you get a handle on that um, and try to make it feel a more livable space? I think it's very difficult. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd bounce the question back to you in many ways. You can't physically prevent somebody from opening up, up a business. There was, there's a nice stretch right opposite where Bruntwood are currently building Circle Square, as we discussed earlier. And at the moment, it's got, um, it's got a Nero, a Costa, and it's soon to have a KFC right next door to its Ladbrokes and its Subway. And, you know, they're following the demand. Yeah, that, but then you go down Chester Street and the zoo, which is a fabulous hidden gem, which I, I've only discovered since I got, I've gone to work there, and you know, in a series of, of more independent uh, outlets. The University of Manchester, every Tuesday during term time, have Levens Hume Market down one of the streets off Oxford Road, which our staff take full advantage of. And there's also, I think, TAC are opening up in the new University Place, I think that's what it's called. It uh, used to be the precinct centre, which was absolutely ghastly. I used to live right opposite it when I was a, a student. And that's they've got five guys going in there, which I know you're a big fan of. And um, Blackwell's going <laughs> to have to... have to mention five guys on almost every podcast yeah. that we do. <laughs> well, my kids love it too. Um, but is it, yeah, Pret-a-Manger going in there as well. But more importantly, Takar as well. And there's going to be a big signature site for Blackwell's, which is sort of an independent retail offer isn't yeah, it? Yeah absolutely and, and through all the building work on Oxford Road I think Blackwell's Manchester Twitter site has been one of the most active and positive in really? supporting what's been going Brilliant. on yeah Brilliant. Um, always very independent in the, in the yeah I, I mean TAC we, we love TAC as well TAC is an, is an amazing shop uh, uh, there isn't enough room to get in there these days most of the time which is one of the issues in the northern quarter um, I think one of the things we're seeing and we've been seeing for a number of years um, and maybe this reflects the changes in demographics amongst students, is, is obviously the, the culture that you or I may have known as, as a students, which revolved around beer, basically, uh, or drinking more generally, that has changed quite substantially. So we are seeing a lot more coffee bars and a lot more yeah. food and, and presumably student <coughs> services, which used to rely on making their money on the bar, having to move into food and higher quality food than they used to. Yeah, I mean, one of the great assets in our, on our estate is the Salutation Pub which the university bought and rescued because it could have just been knocked down. And the student union run it and staff go along and it's, it's a nice pub experience. You just change the menu. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's decent. And I think there's, I'm all for, that's, I suppose, partnership in action. 
Um, I mean, as I said, we're talking, we've, we've, we've seen a sort of change in demographic among students, so more international students, maybe more desire to live near the city centre as well, rather than further out, which obviously will probably affect the use of those bus routes we've just been talking about. Um, how much has uh, Manchester Met experienced that, and, and how are you sort of reacting to, to go with that? Um, we don't have a higher as high a dependency on international students as the University of Manchester. They have, well, I won't quote the figure because it will be wrong and, I, and that's not, not my strong suit, but we have a, about 5% of our students are international. We have a lot of students who I would describe as second generation international who uh, often from, originate from Greater Manchester than individually, but their families may have come from, from further afield. It's got an international flavour to it. And so as our um, so of our as our staff as well, we've got big challenges right across the sector, and as a city, to retain and attract people who you know, we want to attract the brightest and the best to come and learn, study, but also to teach and research at our university. And Brexit's provided us with a particular challenge in that regard. Um, and I read today it's absolutely groundless, but you know there are well-known academics working in this city who are questioning the future, and that's that's tragic. We've got to address that. Um, having said that we don't have a high level of international students, we want to do something about that. So we are working with Study Manchester, the, the initiative that Marketing Manchester have got underway, um, and we're looking for partnerships all over the world where it's appropriate, where we've got our own academics connections, where we've got good links already. We deliver a, a programme with Hong Kong University. Um, we'd like to extend those, and we'd like to have more partnerships, and we'd like to have more people coming for summer schools as well from, from overseas. We've got a contract with a police force in the Middle East who are over doing language training. And yeah, we'd like to do more of that. It's, 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 it's about outlook and approach and, 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 and being, an, being an open university with its eyes open to the world. Open university. There's, oh, there's a phrase there, isn't there? There is, yes. Yeah, someone, um, someone should so, pick so, up on that. Somebody, talk to Harold Dawson about that. Um, I mean... I mean uh, even without the number of international students, are you seeing a change in, in the demographics? Um, are, you, are you getting better off students? Are you getting fewer, less well-off students? We've always done very well by attracting students from what we call first-generation families, of which I'm very proud to say I was one in 1985, the first member of my family to, um, to wear a mortarboard and sit there in a gown three years later for all my efforts. Um, so we, we do have that, and we've got a charity, a charitable campaign in order to provide the kind of pastoral support and financial support to students from those sorts of backgrounds. And we do work very hard at, um, at bringing in students from across the north of England and, and, and further afield. Um, we're also, in many, in many areas as well, offering students places if we know that they're particularly good and their teachers rate them because it's, it's fierce competition out there. And it's, you know, the, the pressures that kids are under now. I mean, I've, my eldest is 18. Um, <clears throat> and I know the kind of social pressures that kids are under. So to be able to say to them at the age of 17, 18, listen, your teacher's rate, right. you've worked really hard up to now, you've got great GCSEs, you predicted to get these grades, we'll give you an unconditional offer. Take the pressure off. You've got your place. Do as best as you can. Get good results. Don't take your foot off the gas. Don't disappear to Bangkok and not bother taking your A-levels, but taking the which, pressure which off. And that's the kind of intensity of competition from... Which, is, which has been something the Oxford and Cambridge colleges have always done, effectively. But it's pretty rare that 
municipal metro universities would do that. It's about supporting talent and then being them. The real key is making sure that all students can complete their courses because that's an absolute disaster for a university if a student doesn't complete their course. It's, uh, we call it progression and it's one of the measures that we have to be absolutely relentless about is making sure that if there are any problems that we can address them we can help students out and that they that they complete year one year two and then ultimately graduate okay. the, the new vc has been in post for what, about two eight, years two years yeah is it, right yeah okay. um so what are his priorities and what's changed as as he's taken up the role yeah he's brought in more professors um, he's, he's, he's slightly reorganized the, the the senior leadership of the university um, we've got some fantastic new colleagues have, have come in and we've got a university strategy which we've been rolling out in the last um it seems i was gonna say six months then we actually started rolling it out in january um and i told you numbers wasn't my strong suit um and, yeah, and malcolm press to give him his full name is um he's fantastic and i and I love working with him because he's, he's got new ideas, energy, his, his favourite phrase, he's working at pace. And he's properly embedded as well with Manchester. I mean, he's, he, he, was a, he, he was a research, his PhD here, I think. Um, and he works really closely with Nancy Rothwell, who he, who he knew prior to coming here. And you know, he has regular meetings with people all around the sort of Manchester family of institutions. And when I said before that five pillars of our strategy involve place, sustainability, community, ambition, you know, they're really important to be embedded in, in, in everything that Manchester's doing and to have an alignment of interest with, with what the city's doing. So he hasn't particularly changed the priorities of the university from what it's been over the last 15, 20 years. It's about tweaking and improving it's delivery. Being, being better at what we're really, being great at what we're good at. I suppose lots of people coming new into businesses have done. Well, also, well usually also, new people in is, businesses just provide a new logo and then provide... <laughs> no, the, the other thing as well is, is, is being great at what... Um, being better known at what we're great for. I mean, you tell me one thing that you know that we're really great at. Art, fashion, architecture. Yeah. Here's the other one, creative writing. We've got Carol Ann Duffy, the Poet Laureate, is a teaching member of our staff. She's not a bauble. She doesn't just turn up and deliver the odd lecture once, once or twice a year. You know, like other academics have done in creative writing schools in this city in the past. Caroline is a, is a key part of our teaching staff delivering a course and, and the fruits of her involvement are in the Costa Prize winning novellists, the bookish long listed. Um, and the Children's Literature Festival. And the Children's course, Literature which Festival. Really which, we, yeah. which we work with most years. And uh, the wonderful Gothic Festival that happens across the, the two <laughs> universities, which is becoming increasingly important, which old goths like myself think is very, very important. Um, how can you see over the next the next 10, 20 years, um, how do you see MMU, sorry, Manchester Met, I'm not allowed to call it MMU, I got told that <laughs> at the beginning, Manchester Met evolving? Um, I think we've got to be more flexible in how we deliver learning as a university. We're, we're in the beginnings of a relationship at the moment with Pearson, which is the biggest provider of online learning. That's, that could go in all sorts of different ways. The partnerships with business and delivering new forms of education, like the degree apprenticeships, I think that can only grow. And... And hopefully there'll be what I've long hoped for, which is a, a revolution in life, lifelong learning. That people, people like you, people in leadership positions in, in the city, but in businesses, can feel that they can come and access something that we offer at the university and be with a cohort of people that understand different organisational problems. And we can be pro the provider of that. I haven't got the silver bullet for what that looks like at the moment but it, it really is about being fleet of foot and nimble and taking advantage of how technology enables 
our core product, education and learning and research, to be delivered in the future. Um, the business plan for a lot of universities, particularly, um, I guess, of the, the Russell Group and, and even older, tends to be, let, let's set up a, a version of our university under the same name in Hong Kong, Dubai, China, and so yeah, on. That's not can, in the plan. You, no. So you do it virtually rather than actually in physical sites? Start with partnerships, really. One thing we talk about quite often internally is um, sometimes you know, initiatives will get kicked around, someone will come up with a plan, people will spend some time writing a report. But actually, sometimes it's best to think big but start small and then just work on how, how things work. And I, th I think that's a great way of going about things. Um, the main thing I really love about working at the university is something that, that's an itch I've wanted to scratch for a, a long, long time. And I'm on the General Assembly of the University of Manchester by date of being an alum. And Tom Bloxham, when he was Chancellor there, which is a purely advisory and ceremonial role, as opposed to the Vice-Chancellor. When he gets to wear a fancy hat, which Tom likes. And wears a hat. And Tom likes his hats. Um, they were talking about lots of different things that they were doing. And I said, why do I pick up my Sunday newspaper or my weekly political rag every week and I see loads of events that are going on in London that look really good? full of really interesting people and speakers. And why isn't the university doing something like that? And Tom Bloxham leant forward in his very persuasive way and he went, what have you got in mind, Michael? Yeah? And I thought it was a great answer because it wasn't... He batted it back to me. And that's where I then got together with my mate Mike Emmerich, who used to run um, um, the New Economy, and Martin Carr, who ran uh, True North, the branding agency, and we came up with Discuss Manchester. And... And it's sort of what I'm doing a lot of at the university now is projecting the work that we do in humanities or in creative writing to make sure that those people have got a good profile and a, and a, and a public voice, that we're engaging with debates that are going on because never, never have our politics needed well-informed experts, you know, that thing that Michael Gove railed against, that the country's sick of it. Actually, never have we needed expertise, um, informed research, evidence to be able to back up um, the future and whatever policies are being created to shape our future. Yeah, it's been interesting. I mean, obviously, because we do so much with around rough sleeping and around synthetic cannabis, which is called a spice. Um, you know, obviously, we've been talking to your criminology department, who have Great. world experts in yeah, what absolutely. actually spice does to you. And so, the, the so it's been very interesting. But, but I think that, that was almost a, a personal somebody that said, you need to speak to this person, you need to speak to this person. Actually, um, getting out some of the publicity around some of the work that's been doing, I, I guess, is always one of those things that universities need to do more of. It's never going to be perfect, is it? Yeah, we did. And one of the things I'm most proud of is working with Rob Ralphs and Oliver Sutcliffe, the academics you're referring to. One does hard science in chemistry, one does social science in, in criminology. And really pushing, really pushing the work that we're doing. And then, but then working cross-faculty as well, which is just fantastic. And We're in the middle of a Hells Angel meet at this point. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? And Andy Burnham came and opened the event and said that he would act on you know, the evidence and respect for the evidence um, that we were putting forward. That's phenomenal. So a racetrack going up Black, Blackfriars to uh, Salford, I think. <laughs> um, which is excellent. And we're doing a meeting uh, after that. Um, I think sometime in October, that's then bringing together sort of um, policymakers to go, okay, well, this is the problem and this is what it does to the body and this is some of the issues. Um, this is actually how we need to try and find some solutions. And, and that's one of, one of the major issues, obviously, we face with spices. 
understanding that path yeah. through to rehab potentially um, understanding but also the, the, the amount of changes that you have in you know heroin whether it's weak or strong is still heroin so you sort of have a predictable path is happening there with spice you don't have that predictability so having that backing in terms of universities and in terms of academics who are doing that hard work of analyzing yeah. this stuff and, and coming up with okay well this might work this might not work which allows people like us who are working with the yeah. policymakers to try and find out this is what we therefore need to feed into yeah. policy solutions is really important. Yeah, I mean, Oliver's over with the DEA and the FBI in, in the US this week. I mean, that's that's the kind of reach that we're getting at the moment on this. And and you're right, it's it's so important to to base any response on the evidence. Yeah. Um, you still find the energy to blog as well at Marple Leaf? Yeah, I've also been taken on by Huffington Post as a, oh, as, a, as, a, as a guest blogger where I tend to... Um, you know, it's, it's as well to have an identity and something that people can expect from you. So I'm providing a bit of a running commentary on uh, the Metro Mayor, and I did through the election campaigns. And then, you know, obviously through the first, I've got a blog due soon on Andy's first 100 days, which will be a theme of our next magazine, Metropolis, which we're bringing out from our think tank at the university. Um, but then, How do you think his first 100 days has gone? Um, what was it Macmillan said about the test of any political leadership? Events, dear boy. Yeah, and what happened within Andy's, wasn't even his first 100 days, it was in his first month, the attack on the Ariana Grande concert and, and also the response and coordination of the different authorities around Manchester who own tall buildings, which our estates directorate contributed to and uh, New Charter Homes, where I'm a non-exec director, contributed to. And I think he's shown real visible leadership and that's, that's the, the most that you can ask. I think, in, in times of crisis, when we remember other crises and other politicians and, the, and they've hidden. And frankly, the way the government reacted to some of the terror attacks in London was slow and plodding. I think Andy's done a fantastic job, if I can call him that. Or maybe we should call him Mayor Burnham. And yeah, I, I, I keep on saying I like the idea. Of, I, it's just a pity that the Commissioner of Police has gone, because to have the Mayor and the Commissioner was a very... It felt very American felt to be calling yes. the, the Mayor's office and then the Commissioner's office, and yeah. you, you sort of hoped that the Ghostbusters would walk in and have an argument <laughs> with one or the other of them, but it's not going to happen now. Yeah. No, I think he's made a, he's made a, he's made a fine start, and there's going to be bigger challenges ahead as well. I noticed Andy Street, the um, directly elected Mayor of the Midlands metro region, we're not allowed to call it the Birmingham city mayor are we um you know they're making bold claims to do their next devolution deal which is frankly playing catch-up to the incredible achievements that howard and richard and the other and peter smith created the political architecture that we have now that andy's inherited but you know all power to his elbow andy burnham that is to um to really break crack open our politics and you now i attended his digital summit he's got an environmental summit that alex Gnotis, the leader of stockport will be convening you know opening up again to people who've got expertise you know not just you know tossing it to some academic in a university which we'd gladly take up if that was asked of us but yeah you know, there's, there's more people who've got um more coherent voices around this and finally what are your thoughts for blackburn this season oh it's, it's been a disaster i mean we've <laughs> we've lost our two games to Southend and doncaster there's a sentence i never thought i'd say <laughs> Uh, we're in the next round of the cup and, we're, and who do we face? Our bitterest, closest rivals, Burnley, who started their season by beating Chelsea. It literally could not be any worse. It's been an absolute unmitigated disaster. Is, is there light at the end of the tunnel for you, do you think? No, that's an oncoming train that we can is see. That? That's not. So do you see yourselves going the, the same way as sort of a black ball, where you just can't shake off the owners and they're going to drag you down and down? 
I don't know. I really don't know. Um, the listeners of Cotton Mouth Podcast, frankly, do not want to hear my views on Blackburn Rovers. I'd much rather talk about absolutely anything else, Vaughan. Okay, we'll leave it there. <laughs> Thanks to Mike for joining us. We'll be talking to more people based in the city centre over the coming months. If you have any comments or ideas for things to cover in the future, you can talk to us on Twitter at CottonmouthMCR or through email on podcasts at cityco.com. Cottonmouth Manchester is available on iTunes, Acast and SoundCloud or direct from the source at cityco.com podcasts. Please leave a review, give us some likes if you like what you hear. Until next time. <laughs>